Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Point Church Online. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at the church, and just honored to have you spending your time with us. Thank you to the Petersheim family for leading us in Broken Vessels. You guys did an awesome job. Thanks for doing that. And to my friend Jen Koppel for um, the conversation around the, the housing issue and peace in our community. Uh, grateful to have her part of the Together Initiative Network and part of our uh, partners here in our community. Well, guys, um, the week um, continues to introduce to us. It's like each week introduces to us some new elements of things that we have to try to understand and ways that we have to try to navigate the world that we are in. I hear that from you as I talk to you during the week and as I engage with you in different ways. This week um, has brought another issue, and that is who in the world are we supposed to follow? Are we under county leadership or under state leadership in the space that we're in now? And while that is a particular issue of the week, underneath it, the issue is still the same. And to me, the fundamental issue right here that I want to keep speaking into because I think it matters so much, and that is how in the world, how in the world are Christians supposed to act right now? This is why it matters to me so much. Because what I see in the love of God through Christ is a kind of love expressed that is a reconciling love, not a kind of, um, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to do my thing, and I'm going to do my thing, not a kind of chaotic um, power grab that might exist, but rather a different way, a kind of a third way of walking through life right now. So listen, I know it's a challenging season. What I want to do this morning specifically for you is I want to give you four uh, places to stop and think, kind of a framework, of four ideas of what you can do right now if you call yourself a Christian. I hope this is very practical for you. I hope you can walk away from this message saying, okay, here's four things that I can do right now that would help me think through how a Christian might respond to the time and space that we are in. Now, to get there, before I talk about our situation, I want to go back in time hundreds of years, and I want to talk about the time when there was a young man who was ripped out of his home country and taken into captivity and had to be under the authority of a government that was totalitarian, that was power-hungry, that was vicious and brutal, that had a king whose every whim and wish was going to be met or else people would die. There was no democracy, no challenging of that, might made right, and this is the person of Daniel that I want to talk about this morning. And what I want to say about Daniel this morning is four things. I'll tell them to you right now. What I see in Daniel is that Daniel resolved to do something, Daniel learned something, Daniel solved something, and Daniel worshipped someone. As we look at the story of Daniel, I hope you'll see that with me, that he resolved, he learned, he solved, and he worshipped. So Daniel's story to me is pretty amazing to see, to me very insightful to think about how people who are followers of God respond in a time when government and power and authority is difficult to process and challenging to say the least. So here's the story with Daniel. If you don't know the story, no problem. Just track along with me. I'll tell you the story. We'll throw up a couple verses here for you to track along with. But what an amazing story. Daniel this young man, he was of royal descent and blood within the nation of Israel, and he, along with a few of his friends, were ripped out of Israel by the powers of Babylon. And by the way, God allowed this to happen. So Babylon, this outside power, comes in, takes Daniel and his friends, takes them captive, and their goal for these young men, the four of them in particular, was that they could train them and teach them and uh, just kind of disciple them, if you, like, if you will, in the way of the Babylonians. They were trying to to 
remove the way of the Israelites and install the way of the Babylonians for their best men. And Daniel and three of his friends were chosen as people who would be kind of groomed in the royal court in Babylon. So what a weird position to be in. Ripped away from your home country, no indication that mom and dad are even in the picture anymore, and you're placed in a foreign power and you have to figure out how do I act and react in this space. And so what happens, we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, but Daniel, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So one of the first things that's happening for Daniel is that he's getting the opportunity to eat food and drink things that he is not used to drinking. He's getting the best of the king's wine and food to eat because the king just thought, in order to make you the best and strongest young men that I can, I'm going to give you the best food that I have. Makes sense. Daniel is in a predicament because he wasn't raised this way. He is not allowed to eat the things that are coming to him. This isn't just preferential, like, ah, I don't prefer these spices on my food, or I don't like this cut of meat, or I prefer red wine instead of white wine. It's nothing like that. It's more of this whole thing is wrong, like fundamentally wrong. And so he resolved, verse 8, Daniel, first of all, resolved not to defile himself. And I love that. And that's the first thing I see in Daniel. He resolved not to defile. What does that mean? It means that deep down inside, he said, you know what? Of all the things that I can do, and I can do almost nothing. I've been taken away from my home. I have very little power. I can't change the government. I can't really change my circumstances. But I can internally resolve within my heart, agree, this is what I'm committed not to do. For him, it was not to defile himself. And what does that mean? That means that there were certain things that he knew were right and wrong. Daniel, as, long, as well as every other Israelite who lived during this time, related to God through the what we call the Mosaic Covenant, a covenant with a man named Moses. And in that covenant, the way of relating to God, God gave them very specific rules to follow, certain things that the nation of Israel could eat, things they should wear, ways they should treat the land, ways they should treat people who have died and their families and what is clean and unclean. Very clear rules. This is the way that you should do it. This is the way you should not do it. Daniel is in a spot where he is being given something from this category. These foods go against every way that he has been raised. When he went to his friend's house when he was younger, he never had the food that he's being served right now. The things that his parents taught him about what is right and what is wrong, he is now looking at the food and the wine and saying, I'm going to violate my conscience. I'm going to violate the very fabric of my relationship with God. Like as someone who follows God, this is fundamental to how I worship him. I am resolved to honor that commitment with God and I must not eat the food and the wine that is here. And this presents a real problem because he has very few choices on what he can do now that he's in this problem. So what he does, first of all, he resolves something. That's something that he does. But secondly, he learns something. He poses a question to the to the, his captor. And he poses this question. He asks the chief official at the end of verse 8 for permission not to defile himself this way. And he learns something. Here's what he learned in verse 10. The official told Daniel, like, good plan, Daniel, but listen, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
That's uh, a fair point. I mean, I can't argue with that. I mean, put yourself in this, um, this official's place. He has orders from the king, the king who doesn't mind killing anybody to get his way, that, listen, you are to deliver to Daniel this food, this wine, make it happen, get him strong. There we go. And Daniel, a captive from the nation of Israel, says, I'd rather not eat this. Who are you going to listen to? Listen, this fear is real. The fear is real that the official has. And Daniel, by asking a question, by his posture toward authority, he learns something. He listens. He engages the other side and he stops and learns. What he learns is the fear that drives this man's behavior. He learns the fear that drives the behavior. And you know this as well as I do, that when you learn the fear of what really drives someone's behavior, now we can move, right? Now we're cooking with oil. Now we can start figuring out what to do. Daniel learned something because of his posture toward authority. So Daniel resolved something, he learned something, and then he solved something. Because of the fear that he understood in the official, he decided, this is not a problem that is unsolvable. There is still something I can do in a limited way in my little world, and I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to give to this royal official a plan that will be something that he can engage. I'm going to address his fear. I'm going to show him that I understand him, that I appreciate the real fear that truly, if you don't give me the food and wine, you are going to die. That's a real fear. And he addresses that with solving the problem. And here's the plan that Daniel offers in verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. A great plan, Daniel. I mean, you've, you've hit the middle. You've resolved not to defile yourself. You understand. You've learned something. And now you have a good solution. This guy can do this for 10 days. He's probably not going to die from it. But it gives you a chance just to let this thing go on a test run. And it works. It works. If you know the story of Daniel, you know it works. If you don't, I'm going to tell it to you. It works. Daniel and his friends grow, become strong, and they look good. And in fact, this little diet plan becomes, well, a diet plan that we use today in some churches, but this little diet plan becomes something that is passed on to the other people in captivity as well because they, they realize, oh, you four are looking better than the others. And so God blesses that and they, they move forward with it, which is good and bad at the same time. Because into chapter 2 in the story, Daniel is growing and he's learning the Babylonian way and getting recognized as someone who is just flat out intelligent. He's on the ball, right? He's a guy that you want in leadership. And the king brings him in uh, as a wise man, uh, is what they would call it, someone who could give direction and, and wisdom to the king. And these wise people were seen as um, maybe having a, some kind of ability to, to see further than what the normal person could see for a variety of reasons. So Daniel and his three friends became wise men, and they were in the king's you know, palace, basically. Well, one night, the king has a dream. And the dream kind of freaks him out, and he doesn't know what to make of it. And dreams are just, of course, by nature, strange, really strange. And so the king brings in the wise men that he has, not Daniel and his friends yet, but brings in wise men and says, I want you to not only interpret my dream for me, but I want you to tell me what my dream was. 
To which the wise men say, oh, dear king, wise and wonderful, powerful king, we can't do that. No one in the history of the world has ever asked wise men to do this before, no matter how powerful they were, and you certainly are powerful. Well, the king gets enraged by their response. And he says, fine, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to kill every wise man in the land. We're going to start over until we can find wise men who can tell me my dream and interpret it for me. Well, Daniel and his friends are in that category. They are wise men. And so as the captain of the palace guard goes out to round up all the wise men and kill them, they come to Daniel's place. Imagine what that would be like. And, and the, there's a knock on the door. Hey, can I come in? Yeah, I got to take you over to, uh, you know, be killed. And so Daniel kind of raises his hand again. And he does what he did to the captor when he was asking about food and wine. And he asks this this guard captain, he said, can you tell me, can you help me understand, why is the king's decree so harsh? What's going on? And the, the guard explains to him what happened. And Daniel asks for time with the king, and he gets a little bit of time with the king, and he asks the king to give him some time to appeal to his God, and perhaps God will reveal to him the dream of the king and the interpretation of it. And so, indeed, that is what the king allows, Daniel goes back to his place, and that day and that night, he prays to God. And God is gracious to him, and he gives him a vision of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And this fourth thing that we see Daniel do is a fourth thing that I think that we can also do. But the fourth thing we see at the, toward the end of chapter 2 is the capturing of Daniel's response to the vision he got from, from God. In verses 20 to 23, we read there about what happened after Daniel got this, this vision. He goes to worship. He worshiped God. See, Daniel, during the night, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This is great. I mean, Daniel has not only resolved to do something, learn something, and solve something, he's now worshipped someone. His desire was that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, would know that the king of the universe has revealed this to Daniel. He worships God, and this is what is so profound to me, that he worships God in the middle of this crisis, right? Like, he praised God before the crisis was over right? Like the moment of this praise isn't because Nebuchadnezzar had said, Daniel, you're right. In fact, it was this very night. I mean, imagine that. Daniel could have gone the next day after he had the vision to the king, and the king would have said, Daniel, now that you're here, tell me what, what's going on. And let's say Daniel downloads the vision from God. What if Nebuchadnezzar is just like, you're wrong. Like that wasn't it. You're wrong. Like, Daniel doesn't know Nebuchadnezzar's response yet, but in confidence, his confidence is in the character of God in the middle of the storm, not after the storm has passed. He has such confidence in the character of God in revealing this to him that that night he's just like, I know that you are true. I know that you are more powerful 
than our nation, than this government. I know that you are wiser than anybody else. And so before I even test whether this is true, I'm going to praise you that it is true. What a powerful moment for us to see that Daniel is doing this. And so this is what I see in the life of Daniel. Four things. He resolved to do something. He learned something. He solved something. And he worshipped someone which to me gives me something very clear to do right now. Four questions around these four things for me and maybe for you to consider in the season that we are in right now, in a season where I know that for some of you, you're wondering, what can I do? What should I do? Should I leave social media? Should I engage people who disagree with me? Should I not? How do I talk to my family? You know, what do I do? How do I get my head and my mind around this? And how should, if you call yourself a Christian, right? How do Christians respond? How should they respond? What does that look like for us? Four questions around these four things that Daniel did. First question is this, what are you resolved to do? What are you resolved to do? Not just what do you think is a good idea today and maybe tomorrow, but what are you resolved to do deep down inside? Like for Daniel, he was resolved and he knew instinctively this food and wine is wrong because it violates the way that I'm supposed to relate to God in the Mosaic Covenant. For Christians today, we are not under the Mosaic Covenant. We are under what we call the New Covenant. The New Covenant replaces the Mosaic Covenant. It's built on the foundation of it, but replaces it. And it teaches us that the primary thing that God is looking for in the New Covenant, and Jesus just flat out says it, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That love is the mark of the new covenant. In other words, as instinctively as Daniel saw the food and wine coming that was unclean food when he related to God in the Mosaic covenant, so too should Christians, when they see behaviors or when they're tempted to act in ways that are unloving, it should trigger something in us that says, wait, that isn't clean. That will defile me. I'm going to be resolved to act in love in every way. Now, we might agree with that in principle, but we've got to ask the question, is there anything that we can do that's even more helpful than that? And I want to give this to you as maybe a way to get even further handles on this. I love the way Paul writes about it in Philippians 4.8. He gives what I think is an extension of the love command. Christians are to love, but in Philippians 4, 8, we see ways, more characteristics of how we can love and what that looks like. And he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So let me just encourage you. Here's how this works. Like right now, what if you were just to say, you know what? I'm resolved. I'm resolved. Whatever is true, that's going to be my story. I'm going to pursue the truth. I'm not going to get caught up in conspiracies. I'm not going to get caught up in the left or the right. I'm not going to get caught up in right or, you know, red or blue. I'm resolved to pursue truth. Christians are people of truth. What if it's like, you know what, I'm resolved to model for my kids whatever is noble, I'm going to be careful about the gossip that comes through my home. I'm going to be careful about the emotion of anger that I feel and how I manage that, how I handle it. I'm going to be careful with the words that I say. I want to model nobility to the next generation in the middle of this space because I'm resolved to be noble. I'm resolved to do what is right with my employees, not just to, to kind of thrive in the gray areas. And listen, I know there's so many gray areas, but I'm resolved to try to figure out what is right because that's an expression of love. 
So right now I want to encourage you to ask the question, what am I resolved to do? And let me just encourage you, parents, for a moment, parents especially of young kids, you are impressing upon your kids these things every day, and they will likely not turn around and thank you for it for a long time. But Daniel was impressed by his parents and by his community that there was something wrong with eating defiled food, and it really pricked his conscience in the moment of his growth. I want to encourage you parents, keep at this hard work. Keep encouraging your kids with whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy. These are extensions of what it means for Christians to love. So Daniel, in his tough spot, he couldn't change the world, but he could resolve internally to, stop, to do something. And he resolved not to defile. I want to encourage you to ask the question, what am I resolved to do? What am I resolved to do with surety? Second question is this, what can you learn? What can you learn? And this is really around you know, Daniel's learning about what fear drove um, his, his captor. What can you learn? Can you imagine for a minute if people who were on the one side would actually stop to learn from people on the other side? Can you imagine what it would be like in your business or maybe in your community or maybe in your Facebook feed or whatever, or whatever it might be? Can you imagine if we took time to learn and listen to one another? You know, Daniel's posture toward government, toward authority, I would call like a submissive intentionality. He was submissive in his attitude, but he was also intentional in what he wanted. He knew that there was something missing and something wrong, and he wanted to get after that. And so he pursued it, but he pursued it by learning, by understanding. Help me understand not just your perspective, but what's underneath your perspective. Why do you want to open the economy now? Why do you want to keep it closed now? What fear is under that? And by the way, some of those fears are very good and healthy fears, just like the official had a fear of having his head cut off. Like That might drive you to do good things, right? So there's some fears that we can understand with people. So I want to encourage you to ask, what can I learn right now? This posture of learning. Third question is this. What can you solve right now? What can you solve? And again, you might say, I can't solve this chaos, and you might be right on that. And I don't think any one of us can solve what we're in right now alone, that's for sure. But there might be some things that maybe you have said, because I can't solve it all, I don't think I can solve any of it. And maybe you've given away too much power. Maybe you've given away too much activity and energy. There might be something that you can solve right now in your day. Listen, I know like the stay-at-home orders have been tough on so many of you. It's hard to reorient your day and reschedule it. And some of us are really wrestling with even some, something simple like, how does my day get started? You know, I want to encourage you, maybe you can solve your day and your day's schedule. And I know that's been hard for some of us, but hey, why not? Why not start somewhere? Maybe some of us can solve the problems that our kids are facing and the fears that they have. You know, they may have fears driven around... Um, you know, when do I get to see Nana and Papa again, or Grandma and Grandpa, because it's been so long, you know, or, hey, what will my life be like when my new brother or sister arrives, or what's going to happen in the fall semester with school, and can I get a summer job? Learning and understanding the fears of our kids and parents, you already know this, you do such a great job of this, you know this, that when you understand the fear, you can help kind of solve and direct and plan underneath it, and plans, solutions that have, that keep, that understand where people are coming from create great solutions because people feel bought in. And you know this as business leaders. You've already pivoted as a business leader. You figured out how to deliver your product curbside. You're working on takeout stuff. 
You have to change your whole business delivery model. You have to take into account the fears your employees have, your customers have. And when you solve that and solve it in light of fear and anxiety that people have, you create an incredible team culture and dynamic and a winning organization. So you know that. So what can you solve? There may be something right in front of you that you can solve and maybe you've kind of been maybe a little unsure that you can do anything. Daniel's story says, yeah, there can be a way, even in the most difficult circumstances. And finally, I want to ask this question. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to worship? There is going to be a time when this crisis will be over. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And the question will be, who, who will get the lasting credit, so to speak? Who will get the attention in the long run? Is it going to be the wisdom that we have, or the anger that we have, or the position we have, or the position they have? Daniel's interest constantly was in elevating the power and wisdom of God. And that's what his prayer is about in the end of chapter 2. His interest is in the power and the wisdom of God. The power and the wisdom of God. And I want to encourage you to consider this. Consider taking that prayer of Daniel and praying it yourself this week. It's a great opportunity. Let me, let me show you what I mean. As I go back to Daniel chapter 2, beginning of verse 20, this is a prayer you can pray, maybe tomorrow morning. You can just modify it a little bit to make sense, but you can say, you know, dear God, I want to praise your name forever and ever. Wisdom and power are yours. You change times and seasons. You depose kings and raise up others. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You reveal deep and hidden things and you know what lies in darkness. And light dwells with you. That prayer, the prayer is a prayer for power to be rightly recognized in God and wisdom that he would reveal good ways to express power and right ways to do that and ways to reveal wisdom in our days and through us. So who are you going to worship during this season? Four questions. What are you resolved to do? What can you learn? What can you solve? And who are you going to worship and how are you going to do that? Just because this world is chaotic around us right now, and just because the week introduces a new challenge for us, doesn't mean that we're helpless in the middle of that storm. Again, if you call yourself a Christian especially, I think the stakes are upped a little bit. Because this matters to me so much because how we react to this time, how we show and demonstrate the reconciling love of God in the middle of an unreconciled and divided world is so, so important to me, and I know is so important. To you. So I want to encourage you to resolve something. Yes, you can resolve something. You, you know you can learn something. You know that you can solve something. And you know that you want to worship the God of power and wisdom. So I want to encourage you, your children, to consider those four things as ways that you can navigate this crisis right now. Okay. That being said, let me just tell you what's going on next week. Next time in Disrupted, we're going to look together in our last installment of the series on, really, this is an oxymoronic idea, but the beauty of God's silence and why the fact that he's silent right now might actually be an incredible gift to us in so many ways. We want to talk about that strange idea about the beauty of God's silence. I'd be glad to have you back next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we could share together. And I pray for those listening that you would give us the wisdom and the courage to take what is helpful for us this morning and apply what is helpful and to remove that which is not. Uh, give us the, the proper filter here by your grace to know how we can engage what we need to resolve, what we need to learn, what we can solve and what we can't, and then who we should worship. 
And so br bring us, draw us around those ideas that we can continue to pursue love for you and love for our neighbor in the most intentional of ways in the middle of this season right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.